Yo, what's good, what's good, what's good, my people? You've just tuned in to another episode of the Hip Hop Spot Podcast, where I interview inspiring entrepreneurs within the entertainment field. And yo, me, I'm Brown96, I'm the host of the Hip Hop Spot, and um, today we're going to have a dope, dope motherfucking interview with none other than OG Esteban Oriol. Yo, this homie is a veterano in the entertainment field, and I mean, you know what I mean? He's been in it for a minute, homie. He's a photographer, videographer, he's rolled with groups like Cypress Hill, House of Pain, man, he's done countless, countless projects with countless motherfuckers in the field, man, and um, yo... Stay tuned to the homie, cause um, you know, that's gonna be dope as fuck. Like we always do, homie. We go down that rabbit hole of the Hip Hop Spot podcast to get ready for that shit. We gotta strap on that seatbelt and we gotta get ready for the ride, homie. Cause it's gonna be another dope ride down the hip hop spot side. Yeah, yeah. Yo, today I'm so honored to have this guest on my show. He was born and raised in Los Angeles, California. He's a photographer, videographer. He's been featured in a number of documentaries. He's published various photography books of his own work. Yo, I'd like to welcome Esteban Oriol to the show. What's going on, big dog? What's up, homie? How you doing? Just walk us through um, your experience as a, as a youngster and how you grew up in Los Angeles and how that impacted you to become the person you are today. I was born and raised here in Santa Monica, California in 1966, so that makes uh, me 50 years old right now, and I was born at St. John's Hospital, and my mom and dad, they're both uh, transplants to here. My my dad was from San Diego, his, his mom was from Mexico, and my mom was from uh, Cleveland, Ohio, in the outskirts called Mayfield Heights, and, and that, their family was from Italy. I'm half Italian, half Mexican, and I grew up here, and basically uh, when I was three years old, my pops left, and I just grew up, you know, pretty much living with moms, and and uh, pops left us, you know, with, uh, you know, not too much, you know, he, he took off and went and did his thing, he was young, I understand, you know, where he was coming from, probably wasn't ready to have a kid yet. And so just me and mom's the whole way. And, and uh, she got hurt when I was about eight years old. And from then on, we were on welfare and, and uh, social security because she couldn't work no more. She was uh, disabled. And it was just me and her. And I think that's what gave me the drive and the hustle that I have today is that when I was young, I didn't, I always saw us struggling. And I was like, man, I don't ever want to do that again when I get old enough to work. So I pretty much started working at a hot dog stand around 12 years old. And, and uh, I'd go every every uh, summer and work in the fishing boats. And then I started getting uh, normal jobs like supermarkets and delivery boat type shit when I was 16. And when I hit my early 20s, I was doing construction and doorman for uh, clubs in L.A. And that's where I met Cypress Hill, Booyah Tribe, um, Red 
hot chili peppers, iced tea, and the syndicate, and uh, pretty much all the L.A. hip-hop at that time in the late 80s, early 90s, which wasn't too much. Uh, we used to have a radio station out here called KDAY. Back in the day, it's still here now. It was on AM radio, so if you wanted to hip listen to hip-hop, you could only listen to it on AM radio until KGLH came, and they were on uh, FM radio. And we used to just listen to the, the like, powerhouse hip-hop uh, mixes. They're, like, called the Saturday Night Jams or, you know, Friday Night Mix. And you just sit there with your cassette tape every weekend and and press play and record and just let that shit play through. And then you'd have a cool hip-hop mixtape to listen to all week long. Yeah. <laughs> and so around uh, 89, I met the members of Cypress Hill. And B-Real was, like, 17 years old. And hung out with them throughout the years, and then in '92, Mugs hit me up to uh, work for them, and I got all excited because I was like, "Oh, cool! I'm gonna work for Cypress Hill." And he goes, "Nah, nah, it's for uh, another group I work with called House of Pain, so my boys." And I was like, "Oh, fuck!" Because at that time it was Vanilla Ice, and they only did, you know, that was pretty much the only white boy, like Vanilla Ice, Third Base, and maybe one or two other bands I can't remember so I wasn't too excited until you know five minutes later he goes no it's the homie Everlast you know from Rhyme Syndicate I go oh hell yeah let's do this shit so I met up with those guys and ended up being a tour manager manager of them from 92-94 they didn't want to tour no more so I started uh, the homies from Cypress Hill hit me up and they go hey you want to come and work for us you know I heard it's not going so good over there I said, yeah, like, okay, your first show is Woodstock, 1994. If you make it through that, then you got the job. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, this ain't shit. And I got there. There was 500,000 people in the crowd. We flew into the backstage in a helicopter. The show was fucking off the hook. And after the show, everybody took off, and they forgot me and the 20 pieces of luggage. So <laughs> that was my test into... Um, you know, the, into their camp was how do I get those 20 pieces of, of gear from the stage back to the hotel four hours away with no ride, no no shit, no nothing. So back then I was good at meeting people and I met this girl and told her, hey, if you give me a ride, I, I roll with Cypress Hill. You know, you come hang out with us and, you know, go to our party and shit. I just made up a little story. And she gave me a ride with all the gear back to fucking like four hours away to the hotel. Wow. And that was how I got in with Cypress Hill and ended up tour managing and touring with them to 44 countries and all around the United States multiple times until 2005 when they didn't want to tour no more. And or their, the touring was so uh, sporadic that I couldn't really make money because the only way I made money is when we were on tour. I had to make a decision to either do um, my photography and video directing, which I had already started, or keep touring with the band. And I chose to do my career of photography and video directing. And once I dove in head first, it pretty much took off. As far as um, my photos and video career, that started in the uh, early to mid-90s. My pops and his wife, because my pops was still around my life, but only on um, holidays and summer vacations. So 
we you know we stayed connected and bonded throughout the years and uh, when I got older he said hey me and my wife have this extra camera I'm not doing photography anymore really I'm, I'm focused on painting but we think you live a cool lifestyle because you know you're low riding in East LA all the time and you're on tour with the with these bands and you need to document that shit and at first I really wasn't into it because most of the people who did photography were like tourists and and like weirdos you know so yeah. I wasn't really into it and then I started doing it and little by little I liked it more and more I missed out on a lot of shit because I was trying to be cool you know I didn't want to be rushing people with the camera and be like hey can I take a picture of you guys like there was a lot of times we hung out with Tupac and EZ and them and I and I didn't want to bust out the camera because I was like oh man I'll see them another time and when it's you know after they get to know me it'll be cool never saw them again so I missed out on that type of shit so mm. I was kind of bummed out that you know I didn't capture a lot of the earlier shit that I could have and then uh, I ended up um, a guy in, in the mid 90s like 97 I think gave me a Super 8 camera 96 maybe 97 around 96 he gave me a Super 8 camera and you know, which was eight millimeter film camera, and told me, "Hey man, you should film all your photo shoots. Just when you go do a photo shoot, just film a little bit, and uh, you know, just gather some footage." So in 1997, B Real started this new group, and uh, he was like, "Hey, uh, you know, they need a video," and I go, "Hey, well, check this out." me the song and I'll put some of my footage to that video and we sent that video to New York to the record label and they're like hey this is dope you know can we get him to do the first video and they gave me 20 grand which was like at that time 20 grand to do a music video was basically telling somebody you know you ain't shit so we're not gonna give you shit you know <laughs> it was just like here go ahead and try and do what you could do so I did the first video, did the second video. The mother's like, hey, do two videos for me. So I did one with him and Jizza, him and Koji Rap. Then Sendok said, hey, come and do an SX10 video. Then I ended up doing Dr. Green Thumb. Then, uh, and, uh, No Entiendes La Onda, Kill a Man in Spanish. And then with those seven videos, I went out and started shopping myself as a video director. And I got my first video outside of our crew was D12, I'll Shit On You, with Eminem. And then uh, ended up, you know, doing everybody that I knew, like Paul Wall, Alchemist, Blink-182, The Transplants, and, you know, whatever else. And, and simultaneously, I was doing the album covers and magazine shoots, and, and it was good, and a good living right then. But the game changed around the mid-2000, like about 2007, 2008, when the digital cameras started getting real big and uh, all the budgets started cutting that way down because they are like, oh, well, you don't need 50 rolls of film now, no more. You don't need to develop it no more. You don't need to make prints no more. So you could just send us digital files and we'll, you know, that's pretty much the developing the cost of the film and the printing. And so 
so a couple of G's would get shaved off all the budgets right off the bat from going from film to digital and every photographer padded their budgets you know it's just like the industry standard both sides knew it like if you were going to do a job you would say oh I'm going to shoot 50 rolls of film but you would only shoot 30 and you'd keep the extra 20 and you know just would go that whole down the line the whole like budget and now that it's digital it's kind of like oh fuck you you know nothing costs anything anymore people would do shit for free so just get those free people to help you out and uh, do you a favor and we'll just give you a little bit of money and you're good but really yeah. it's not good dang now let's go a little bit back um so let's do it yeah so um you mentioned that you started as a bouncer and whatnot but like how did you even get that job that position to like be be close up to the to the artist that already had a name I'm six foot two, and at that time I was 180, so I was in good shape. Oh, okay. I was, I was in like fighting shape, and I was down, down to get down. You know, I wasn't. I was like, you know, I had that like little, like that little attitude, like you know, whoever wanted to get with me. Yeah. Here I am, you know, and uh, but at the same time, I respected everybody, and I treated everybody, you know, I treated everybody nice and respectfully. But the drunk idiots would come up and be like, hey, man, I'm on the fucking guest list. Don't <laughs> yeah. Let me in. I'd be like, well, who are you? And I'd see they're not on the list. And they'd be like, man, fuck you. You know, I'm on the guest list. And I'd be like, hey, hold up, homie. You know, just be respectful. And we'll look it over. If you're on it, you get in. If not, then go make a phone call. But, you know, ain't no reason you got to come disrespectful like that. And, uh... You know, the guys from Cypress Hill saw that, and then they saw that at the same time, too, that when somebody would put me to the test and and really be disrespectful, that I I would handle my, myself, you know? And uh, they're like, damn, we needed somebody like that on the road with us, somebody who backs his shit up and someone that can be professional and respectful at the same time. Okay. So that's that's pretty much how I got the job, you know, with the band. Huh. But now you were already a, a manager prior to getting that position, or, or you you started no, learning that? I was only a doorman, and I did construction during the day with my friend. We used to do, like, stores and shit like that. We He was a designer, so we would do, like, designer-type of construction like maybe making restaurants or stores on Melrose or building out you know somebody's house customizing it wasn't like construction where it was start to finish you know a dirt lot and we build a two bedroom house it was more like hey I have these two bedrooms I don't like them I want to make them into one master bedroom and I want a fireplace and a jacuzzi but I don't want you to see the jacuzzi I want it to be hidden behind the wall and shit like that so we go and do some custom shit and the same with the uh, you know restaurants or stores we'd build them all out and make them cool and then at night I'd go I'd, I'd work till probably from like 7 to 7 go home take a shower eat make sure I was at the club by 10 work from 10 to 2 and start over and uh, and and uh, I met I guess I met everybody that worked 
clubs from going to the clubs because I had been faking my ID when um, when I was 16 years old. My ID said 66. Oh, shit. So I had these two uh, pencils, and and I would make the, the 6 on the 66. I would make it a 0, so it would say 60. So when I was 16, I just started going to all the clubs, faking my ID, getting into all these older clubs. So by the time I turned 21, I knew everybody in the club scene. And they are like, hey, man, can you help us out, work the door or work the VIP or you know, work the guesses. I was like, yeah, sure, how much? And they're like, you know, 100, 150, 200 bucks a night. And I said, sure. And then I learned, you know, the tipping game at the door. You know, I'd be like, hey, you aren't on the list, but you know, you look out for me, you know, you could be on the list. Hmm. And people would start breaking you off at 20, 100, this, that, and the other. So, you know, you on the weekend, you could easily make 500 to a G a night, you know, depending how you played it right. And, uh, you know, you learn a little hustle. Yeah. So Same now, when you were already like, when when they asked you, can you be our, our tour manager? What did you say? I mean, did you say like, oh, man, I don't even have the experience for that. I mean, how did you no, take that? I never, I've never said I can't do anything. Okay. Every every time somebody's asked me, hey, can you do this or do you know how to do that? I go, yeah. And I'd be like, fuck, how am I going to do this now? And I'd just be confident and, and tell myself I could do it, you know. And, and uh, i say, you know, in my head, I'd be like, man, it can't be that hard. This man over here is doing it. This man over here is doing it. He, he has two hands, two legs, you know, just like me. So I should be able to do it too. Hmm. Okay. And I always just took on, like, Every job I've ever gotten, I always, I always just said, "Yeah, let's let's do it. I can do it." Even if I didn't know how to or think I could, I would still tell them yes and tell myself yes, and uh, I would I would just figure it out. You know, there wasn't no YouTube or nothing like that back then, so you couldn't be like, "Oh, wait, fuck!" You know, I'll just go on YouTube and look at how to do this or how to do that. <laughs> you know? I just. When they said, hey, can you tour manage? I go, yeah, what do you have to do? And they said, oh, you just have to make sure they get to their shows on time and do the interviews and, you know, shit like that. And I was like, okay, cool. And then little by little, you know, we weren't touring for free no more. We were getting paid. So they're like, yeah, you just got to collect the money. Oh, I was shit. like, okay, cool. And then they're like, you just have to collect the money, pay for the hotel rooms, pay the per diems, you know, so the guys got spending money every day, and then just keep track of all the receipts, and before you know it, I was collecting, you know, 30, 50, 100 grand a night Dang. per show, and I had cash on me, and people started finding out, you know, A, the road manager is the, is the dude who has the cash, so people were trying to jack people, another road manager I knew, he ended up having to shoot a dude you know, and did four years for manslaughter. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a little bit rough. I mean, you're in hip-hop, you're going to Only Hoods, you know, to do the shows. At that time, a lot of, you know, rich white people weren't into hip-hop. It was mostly a hood thing. So you're rolling into hoods, you know, and carrying a lot of cash, so you had to be... At that time, you had to be strapped up, you know? Yeah. We were on... We were on tour buses, and we we're it was pretty much our house, so we were strapped up, rolling around, and just like you know, fuck it, hmm. whoever wants the money, Dang. they got they got you know, 
if they got a bigger thing than we do, then they get it. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Now, okay, so you you managed uh, certain groups, and then you got the torch handed down to you, which is your pops handing you down his camera or a camera, and now you're venturing into this uh, this other life. How did you get adjusted to, and how did you even get into being a photographer? Did you even like it in the beginning? No, I, I, I didn't like it. Cause I, like I said, I thought it was like paparazzis and shit, you know, or, or tourists. And I didn't like either of those. You know, I didn't like the way tourists looked. They always, like, dressed funny, and paparazzis were always so scandalous. They just, like, pop out of a bush and just start latching. They're... they're <laughs> We used to think they were scandalous back then, but they're a hundred times worse now. Oh, now yeah. they're just crazy with shit, like climb over your fence or take pictures of you naked and just <laughs> weird shit. And yeah. uh, so I wasn't really feeling that, you know. And it was took it took me a while, and it was hard for me to get comfortable to bust out the camera and just take pictures of people. And um, but once I did, it was easy, you know. It was just like being at the door and talking to people and be like, hey man, how you doing, you know, you know, you can I bust a flick of you and blah, 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 and they're like, yeah, or, or you know, if they say no, you're like, okay, cool, thank you, homie, you know, or, or yeah, let's do it, you know, you just bust a flick real quick and just try and make it as painless as possible, so, you know, if they say, yeah, go ahead and take a picture, you're not just going like, okay, hold on right there, uh, uh, just like dragging the shit out, it's like torture, so. I do ask people to take a picture of them. I just try to make it as fast and easy and comfortable as possible. Maybe tell some like little jokes or shit like that to loosen them up. But yeah. for the most part, you know, it, it was hard at first. But once I uh, got comfortable talking to people that I'm taking a picture of, it was easy. Are they able to just breeze right through it? Now, um, as for once you got used to it, like, what were some of your difficulties that you were kind of having a hard time with? Like, was there any, like, beef with any... Because I, I see a lot of your photos, and there's, like, mainly with, like, gangs and all this and that. Like, was there any beef with anyone you came up to? Yeah, sometimes I'd be in the hood shooting some shit, and fools would run out of the house and be like, Hey, fool, what are you doing here? <laughs> oh, shit. And, I, and they'd be running, like, behind me. I'd be like, fuck, I can't run because then I'll just look like a bitch. And then I was like, what do I do, you know? So I just, I would just talk to them like, like I was supposed to, like it was cool for me to be there, you know? I'd be like, hey, what's up, homie? And they're like, what are you doing here for? And I'd be like, man, I'm just, I'm just busting a flick right here, you know? I don't mean no harm. And they're like, you know where the fuck you are? And I go, yeah, yeah, I'm in this hood, you know, because it's blasted all over the wall. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, yeah, you know, no disrespect, homie. I'm just right here busting a flick. You know, I don't mean no harm. And then sometimes they go, fucking get a flick of me then, homie. You know, let me get a flick. And I'd be like, okay, cool. And then it would be, you know, be, it'd be cool. Yeah, that's fucking cool. Like, all right. It was, yeah. it was, uh, it would keep your adrenaline flowing, that's for sure. So I bet that's one of the things that really kept you going, knowing that, you know, even even in, like, harsh uh, situations, like, it turns to a positive instead of, like, oh, fuck, you know, I could have gotten shot or something, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, every time, like, fuck, you're, you're rolling in different. 
different neighborhoods and they're gangbanging at, at an all-time high. Motherfuckers are dying every day. Yeah, your adrenaline is flowing and you think, shit, I could have got killed right there. But that's kind of the thing that makes it exciting and fun. Like, I was in, I was in a shootout before and I was told by a magazine, they were like, uh, the Source magazine, they are like, hey, go shoot these, um, this story that we're doing on Crips and Bloods. You know, we have somebody writing the story. I was like, okay, cool. You know, and they go, you're down to going to the hoods, you know, with, with the writer? I was like, yeah, sure. And I ended up, I rolled into the hood with them, and they, one of the, one of the neighborhoods saw an enemy neighborhood, and it was a shootout. And, and the homie came up and goes, hey, man, did you get that? Now, that was some gangster shit right there. And I go, nah, homie, I, I, to be honest with you, I put the camera down. He goes, why? Why did you get scared? What happened? I go, I didn't get scared, homie. It's just, I didn't want to, if you would have shot the dude and killed him and the cops would have come, I didn't want to have the evidence, you know, that, you know, what if you got busted because of my fucking camera? Then you'd be tripping on me. Your homies would be tripping on, yeah, that motherfucking cameraman. Got, <laughs> you know, me taking a picture of me killing the dude and I got life. Dang. You know, so I didn't want to be that guy. So I just put the camera down. He was like, damn, homies, you know, that's respect right there. Thank you, G. Like, I didn't even see it that way. I was like, yeah, that's how. That's how I see it, you know. Not everything's for everybody to see, you know. Yeah. That shit's just that shit's just for us to see. Fuck everybody. He was like, "That's right, G." You know, they're they they like that better. You hmm. know that I wasn't trying to get incriminating shit on them, you know. Yeah, some respect. If anybody yeah. else would have wanted to wanted to have an incriminating shit to make themselves look better, like, yeah, man, I was on the front line. Look at this picture of the fool shooting the other fool. And that would have been a that would have been a great photo, you know, for like Time magazine or some shit like that. But it wouldn't have been great if the dude got killed and I had a picture and the the the, the shooter got light because of my photo or the family saw the the photo of his their person getting killed, you know? Yeah. On both so sides. I, felt yeah. like I, was, I was doing the right thing by just, you know, taking more more like portraits or documentary style photos of them just kicking it rather than them doing dirt, you know? Everything that I shot has already been shot before. Nothing, I've never like discovered a, a tribe in the Amazon River. <laughs> You know, I was the first one to ever take a picture of them. You know, every day, everybody, there's been people that shot gangsters before me, and there's thousands of people that shot them after me now that, you know, there's Instagram. Everybody wants a, a shot of a gangster on their profile or some shit like that. So I'm just shooting, you know, L.A. life or, or wherever I am, and I'm not uh, unveiling or doing anything that nobody hasn't already done before. I'm just doing it with my style. Hmm. Keeping it original. Since we're on that, that topic, that your style, what do you define as your style? In words, I just say rough, rugged, and raw. Okay. Would you say it's uh it's considered street photography? Um, I like to say like documentary or portraits. Okay, for sure. Like I shoot, because I don't just shoot uh, street shit. I shoot hip-hop or celebrity 
CDs or, you know, album covers or, you know, I'll, I'll shoot lowriders or gangsters, you know, or or just like, you know, the, the homeless life skid row down here downtown. Okay. Where I've been since 1995, you know. I just shoot a, a little bit of everything. I shoot automotive, you know, anywhere, anything from a skateboard or a bicycle to a Lamborghini or a Ferrari. All right. uh, anything in between. How did you get to, like, expand your 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 knowledge of cameras did you go to cl- uh, school for that did, did you do any any research or, or what research did you do for that um, i never was able to do any research and i never studied any type of stuff like i said when somebody would ask me do you know how to do this i would just say yeah and i wing it and figure it out you know so a lot of the different cameras i i learned i used i would either have like an assistant that day or I would have somebody that knew the camera or I'd get a camera that looks similar to the ones that I use, you know? And uh, like one time I was in Japan and the guy goes, hey, what kind of camera do you shoot? And I go, a 16 millimeter on Ari. And because uh, that's what kind of cameras I use here when I was shooting videos. But he thought that because I directed videos and I shot the videos with the RE 16 millimeter camera that I was the one operating the camera but on those times I was just directing the videos you know because when uh, record labels and stuff they just like to see you direct they don't want you to be distracted being the camera operator and the, you know like director of photography unless you're known for that already then they're like okay cool he shoots and directs you know but um they pretty much just liked it better when you just did one thing. So I would just direct and have um, a cameraman. And so when I got to Japan, the guy was like, hey, so what kind of video- camera do you use when you shoot those videos? And I go, RE 60 millimeter. So he goes, okay, I got everything set up and, you know, come to Japan and do this video for my group. And I went over there and there was no cameraman and he just pointed to the box. He goes, okay, man, there's your 16 millimeter camera. I was like, fuck. Huh. I was like, man, hey, can I tell you something? He goes, what? I go, I don't know how to put that shit together because when they come in the box, they, they come, you know, from the rental house, they're oh. all dismantled and you have <laughs> to put it all together. And he goes, so what should we do? I go, can you call that place and see if they can send us over an assistant to put it together? Once they put it together, I could, I could handle it. You know, I know how to press record and focus and all that shit. I just need somebody to put the shit together. So situations like that is how I learned how to fuck with different cameras. So would you say for someone starting up is to just fuck with it, right? Just to get something, a camera, and just just go with it, right? Yeah, just you know, uh, you know, learn how to learn how to use it. You know, I always thought like hands-on training was the best rather than like hearing a guy in a classroom telling 50 people like you know when you go out there you gotta take your camera you know and like it just bore you to death (laughs) i always thought like you know the best way to learn is just being out in the field and learning it you know hands-on what exactly do you want the viewers to get out of your work what did you want them to walk away thinking after seeing a, a, a photo of of, uh, of anything of your work? I just wanted to walk 
takeaway saying, man, that guy got a good pitcher. You know, like, he's talented or he uh, he knows how to shoot. Now, any influences besides your pops as a photographer? Um, yeah, you know, I like uh, Richard Abaddon, um, Daito Moriyama, uh, Diane Arbus, Peter Lindbergh, uh, Peter Beard, you know, the, the old school guys I liked a lot. Okay. And the love for, for their work came once you already were established as a photographer, or was that prior to it? I didn't really look at people's work when I was coming up, and I didn't really, because uh, I didn't want to get too, um, my, my, I didn't want to get too influenced by any one person's stuff, you know? I would look through magazines and be like, oh, okay, cool, this guy shot that, he's good. And then I would learn, like, okay, that, and then, like, the more I would look at, the more I would see um, pictures in magazines and be like, oh, I know who shot that. Hmm. I know who shot that. I know who shot that. And um, I was able to recognize their style, and I always wanted to be recognized like that, too. You know, I wanted people to see a picture without seeing my name and just be like, oh, that's an Esteban Oreo shot. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty unique the way you um, your work is it, it stands out as is like your name written all over it. There's so many people out there, you know, that they they don't have originality, and they have to uh, you know look at somebody's stuff and and try to simulate it. That it's hard to you know for people to tell now because there's so many more photographers that, and people are like. You know, everybody's doing the same shit. Like, before, when I used to shoot low riding and stuff like that, I was the only person shooting, like, the scene, you know? And at that time, like, most people would shoot, uh, like, low riding, or, or they'd shoot at a car show, or they'd shoot video, or they'd shoot still. But there was, like, if I was the only guy shooting with a camera, stills there'd be like only one other guy shooting with a video camera and there'd be maybe 50 cars now there's like 20 cars and 100 guys with cameras at every time there's a lowrider event hmm. and it's um there's more photographers than there is anything else you know like you can go to a rap concert and you'll see like 90% of the people there are shooting with their phones yeah. or cameras like that. So it's like back in the day, there was no phones with cameras. <laughs> and you couldn't even take the camera into a hip-hop show a lot of times. Oh, yeah. So only the 10 people from like the 10 top magazines would be able to take photos. And that's all you would see of that, that show that night. Now you can see like videos of everything. You can fucking like people film everything and shoot everything, and you can't do nothing without somebody trying to film it or take a picture of it. So what you say is it's like harder now for for someone coming up as a photographer to like be to stand out. Oh hell yeah, way way harder to stand out, but it's easier to promote yourself. You know, you have Twitter, fucking Snapchat. Um, Instagram, Facebook, 
you know, you can pers- promote yourself. Back in the day, you had to have like an agent or just be that sick, sick dude that would go to every magazine, every record label, when call them up with a telephone from your house. You had to dial it or call on a payphone, set up an appointment, and you'd have to go meet the 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 person that picked the album cover photographers or you'd have to go meet the magazine editor yourself and you know you, you start to really put in work now you can just blast all your shit all over the internet and be like hey I'm here for bookings you know book me here jeff at gmail.com yeah, and, and that's it like you're representing yourself but the problem with that is you're you don't know how much to charge and and people just think like oh a picture is a picture you know you just all you have to do is push the button how hard could that be yeah. you know it's not real work but it's like you know there, there's different usages for pictures there's photos like for an advertising campaign there's photos for editorial there's like um you know just web content there's magazines there's there's um video content there's tv commercials there's documentaries there's movies but people have meshed it all together to where it's just like oh you shoot a video here it's this much you shoot a picture there's no differential in between like before you used to shoot a photo and, and if it was for a magazine they could only uh, lock the photo down for three months and no other, you couldn't give it to no other magazine, but they had to pay you a good price for that. And then after the three months, you could do whatever you wanted. If another magazine wanted it, they had to pay for it. Hmm. And you, you would, it was called usage fees. You'd have to get, you know, they'd have to pay you a usage fees for that magazine. And then there was like, if you shot a magazine, if you shot for a magazine in the States, you could send, they would put a, a like an embargo on that photo. It was, it was like, hey, you can't sell to any other magazine in the States for three months. So you're like, cool. Okay, I'll go to Japan or Europe with it to another hip-hop magazine over there because they never crossed. You know, it's like, if you sold it to a U.S. magazine, only the U.S. would see it. If you sold it to a European, only Europe would see it. If you sold it to Japan, only Japan would see it. So you could have the same photo in like four or five magazines all around the world at the same time. Hmm. And you could, you know, collect your money like that, but you could you couldn't put it in like three hip hop magazines in in America at the same time. You'd have to wait till the three months was over and then you go into the next um you can go into the next magazine if it's in the same, you know, nationwide. There's like worldwide usage nationwide a lot different now now it's just like worldwide everything fucking 24 7 and shit's gonna be on the internet you know 24 hours a day seven days a week for the rest of your life and you're gonna get less money than you ever did for any other job for the rest of your life yeah. You're like, oh, okay, cool. That sounds great. When did you realize that you can turn something that people see as like the streets, like a, a, I mean, like you mentioned, you know, like homeless in the streets? How, I mean, when did you notice that you can turn that into something, something like a portrait, something beautiful that that people can like look at as like, damn, that's fucking artwork. You know what I mean? Like, what the yeah. fuck? You know what I mean? 
when you when you found that out that that you have that power to do that, like, like man, I mean, what did you think? Like, you know what I mean? Felt good. I felt like I was an artist. You know, I felt like, man, I'm doing something good. Like, you know, where, where, because I was always around the the music world, you know, and so I was always around people saying, um, you know, oh, you guys are the shit. You know, I love Cypress Hill. You're music is so good you know when I whenever I hear your music I get happy or I want to beat somebody up or I want to fuck or you know like yeah. they were always saying like it caused an emotion in them and they were always like you know like basically patting them on the back saying you guys are the shit huh. so when people started telling me that my photos started um, causing emotion in their, in their head or you know they liked it or I was talented I, I thought, wow, that's how fucking Be Real and Muzz and Send Dog feel, probably, you know, because it's a good feeling when people tell you you do good work, you know? Yeah. Nobody wants to be told that they suck or they, you know, ah, oh, your shit's whack or, you know, you're a biter or fucking nothing like that. So when people are telling you hey, your shit's original, you're doing good, you're, I saw your picture and it made me cry. You know, I, I've been to, a, I've had a couple art shows where people walked up to me crying. Huh. And like, your picture, you know, reminded me of my family, you know, and, or my dad or some shit like that. And they're crying. I was like, damn, you know, my picture, you know, struck that emotion in somebody. That's kind of cool. Now, can you tell us the difference of emotion that you notice causes um, the difference between uh, a picture being in color? or in cyan or uh black and white the black and white just makes you uh it just makes it feel more classic and timeless okay like you don't wow you don't you don't know when that picture is because when you see a picture in color and you see like styles and colors and, and and film back then like there was a different look between the color film in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s like the texture of the film and the way that the film color would come out like now they have apps that say like vintage or this or that but back in the day it was really the film would do that hmm. and uh you know like when you see all those um when you see all the uh the different apps and the names of them yeah you for me, I came up in the film world, so I I know exactly like you know what that was. You know when the, when it says vintage I, and I see it and it has that like kind of like like where red like like red kind of was like orange and like 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 the orange was kind of yellow, like it, it looked faded. Okay. And you're like, oh, that's that 1970s film. Oh, okay. That's from those kind of pictures, and or or that's from a, that's a Polaroid look, or that's this kind of look. Like you would know where it came from. Hmm. You know what what kind of film it came from. What era? Yeah. Yeah. What era? But with black and white, you, you would have to really study the style of the person, or look in the background and see what year of car it was, or something like that. Mm, okay. It wasn't as dead of a giveaway. What motivates you in the day to day, and what inspires you? I don't know. I, I just being uh, like different things inspire me. You know, like I I want to get good pictures. 
Um, I want to be relevant in this day and age. You know, there's so many more photographers. Like, how do you stay, you know, stay in the game when thousands of people are doing what you do? And they could do it uh, not as good as you, but cheaper than you. Hmm. So, like, you know, you got to be better than them and convince the people that they got to pay you more than they pay that guy, even though they don't have the budget, you know? Yeah. That's true. So, yeah. you gotta, you know, there's different kinds of in, uh, inspiration for me. There's my bills keep coming, you know. Uh, like, I'll, I'll get like uh, four or five bills a week, but I'll get one job a week, you know. So, I'm like, fuck, man. Four bills came, and I got one job. I need to get another one, you hmm. know. And you just, like, pumps up your hustle, and then you have to. Not only, you know, you don't want to be like, oh, I'm only doing this for the money because these fucking bills are, keep stacking up and I need to make money and this is all I know how to do. At the same time, you're thinking like, you got to do that. You're thinking like, oh, I got to be creative and make my shit, you know, tight, you know, or else, because uh, if you just think like, oh, I'm doing it for the money, you'll get sidetracked in your creativity. Okay. You're just going to want to knock out the work. You're just like, okay, I'm, you know, I just need to take this fucking picture. And like, kind of like uh, the guys that do like weddings and bar mitzvahs. And, yeah. And yeah, it's pretty much like, okay, I need a shot of the bride and the groom. I need a shot of the, the groomsmaids and the bride, you know, right here by this fountain or by these trees. And it's it's almost like the same shit over and over. Yeah. But with my type of photography... I can't, I can't do it like that, you know? Like, I gotta, I gotta keep flipping it always, you know, kids, they, uh, you know, always stay doing something different, but with my style, so I'm not, you know, flipping my style, because, you know how you, when you hear, like, a music group, and you just want to hear the old classic shit, you don't want to hear their new shit, they're like, oh, this fucking guy's trying to play, like, his new album, like, nobody gives a fuck, I just want to hear those <laughs> old hits. Yeah. So, when you're doing, when you're a photographer, you know, you gotta keep, keep it looking like your old hits, but it's gotta be new, you know? Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, it's dope. It's gotta be your style, but it has to be, you know, it still has to be great, you know? Yeah. And it's gotta be relevant, it's gotta be with the times. For a while, I was trying to fight the whole digital thing. I was late on the Instagram game. You know, I was like, man, fuck all that. You know, I'm not doing that digital bullshit. I'm not doing that Instagram shit. Like, I got shit to do. But then when that shit started taking over, and everybody started doing digital, and, like, you were like, oh, no, I need $4,000 to do a photo shoot because I need $1,500 worth of film. They're like, well, we got 2000 and you can do it digital. And at first, I was like, well, go get somebody to do a digital thing because I ain't doing that shit. <laughs> I was, like, losing work, you yeah. know? Because I was trying to be hard-headed and be old school and stick to the, you know, stick to what I know. And that shit almost bit me in the ass. Huh. To the point where I had to get with the digital era. And uh, I still hate it. You know, I still don't like the look of it. I still like the way film looks better. It's way different. Only people that know how to shoot film and shoot, been shooting film, know that. 
people that look at photos, they wouldn't even be able to tell the difference. They don't know. They don't even know the difference, like of depth of field or not. You know. Huh. Like most of the time, when you take a, a phone picture with your iPhone, there's no depth of field. Like everything is in focus. Yeah. So you're seeing hundreds and thousands of those photos every day. So when you see a photo that was shot by film and that has depth of field, like where the shit is in focus in front and everything behind it is out of focus and it just stands out to you like, fuck, that looks crazy. Like, look at that's a real sick photo. Like everything focuses on that person, on their face, on the story that their face is telling. And that's all you see. Like you can tell it's in a cool, like in an alley or there's a cool buildings in the background and shit. But you're just focused on that person and, and it jumps out at you whereas you see a thousand photos of the fucking uh, everything's in focus you're confused because you're like looking over here you're looking over there you're looking over there and the depth of field is you know all over the place it's just wide open so you're 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 like looking at that photo more and more because you're like oh okay look at all this look at that look at that but when you shoot a portrait and only the face is in focus and everything is out of focus it's that much more powerful and jumps out at you that much harder uh, what would you say are the top three uh, skills needed to be a, a great all around business person um, be original be a hustler be nice respectful and but don't let nobody shit on you. Don't be soft, cause they'll eat you alive. Motherfuckers will try to get everything cheap, free, and they want it yesterday. If if you can't give it to them yesterday because you're in today, then they'll want it today. And you just gotta say, hey, good things are worth waiting for, and cheap shit ain't good, and good shit ain't cheap. <laughs> there you so, go. There you go, man. How do you avoid distractions in your life, and how do you stay with that discipline to apply that to your work? Um, I I can't avoid it. You know, there's fucking distractions coming every day. I mean, left, right, and center, and, and from behind me. And um, I just try to uh, stay focused and stay strong. You have your game tight. There's a million motherfuckers ready to fill your spot. They don't give a shit about you. You know, it's dog eat dog. Strong survive, and uh, you only eat what you kill. So you gotta be with it. What is one advice that you can say to the to the people listening, as for someone that wants to become a photographer or uh, someone shooting video or you know any any of those fields? The best advice I ever got was save your money. Okay. And the guy he just said. There's only the only advice I could give you is save your money. <laughs> oh, okay, I got that. You know, it's from an older man, and he knew that how it was because, like I like it is now. Like I know exactly what he was talking about because there's uh, they always say like, hey, put some money away for a rainy day. And some shit, you know, so you never know when some shit might come up and and you're going to be stuck. And uh, there's been a couple times where I need that rainy day money. Like one of them was uh, when a truck hit me on my motorcycle, it turned right into me. 
and uh, totaled my bike. Like that shit, I was out of I was out of commission for three months straight. So imagine like the only work you get is the work that you go and you go and get. Yeah. Like nobody's kicking your door down saying, "Hey man, here's a briefcase full of money. Come on through or." Or come in every day at 8 o'clock and you punch out at 5 and I'll give you a check in two weeks. When you're doing freelance photography, you got to be out there every day trying to get yourself the next job. And if you don't get a job that day, you're unemployed that day. So there isn't a job for you every day. No photographer works every day unless they're on salary. And if they're on salary, they're getting burned. I mean, it's called freelance for a reason, you know. <laughs> yeah, but there's there's people like there's clothing companies that say, "Hey, you want a job? Yeah, how much? I'll give you a thousand a week." And to a youngster, they're like, "Fuck, a thousand a week? That's good money." And then the company's like, "Okay, go shoot this, go film this. I need this for the Instagram. I need this for my Facebook. I need this for uh, ad." They're boring you off like a little slut, <laughs> and you're doing like every every aspect of their company's imagery. Where a, a regular photographer would get the four G's for one day. Dang. I was like, hey, give me give me four G's, I'll do your lookbook, or give me four G's and I'll do your your web video for your YouTube page. But these companies will go out. And they'll get these these dudes that are so hungry. They're like, hey, man, shoot this. Uh, would you like to work for this company? And it's a good brand. And you're like, yeah, sure, man. What's, what's up with it? And they're like, well, we can give you 4Gs a month. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Like, yeah, you, can you just go shoot this? Yeah. Can you go shoot that? Yeah, sure. Sure, boss. And before you know it, you're shooting every fucking thing that they need you to shoot. And you're getting paid in a month What the other guy gets paid in a day Dang If you were to wake up tomorrow And found yourself starting from scratch Like step one What would you do in the next seven days To reclaim what, what was once yours Or even even Get even further than you are now At that Well that happened to a guy I know And he came to me and asked me Hey what do I do you know, I was once the greatest um, guy on the West Coast. And I uh, I told him how to do it, you know. I introduced him to every, because we were cool, you know. So I, I introduced him to everybody. I told him, are you on Instagram? He goes, nope. And I go, okay, get yourself an Instagram. Get on Facebook, get on Twitter, get on every kind of social media you can. You know, basically, I'm doing that every day. What, what you're asking me, I'm I'm doing that exact same same thing every day. Like no, nothing is uh, just because I've been doing it for 25 years and I know everybody and I've shot everybody. That don't mean shit. That just gets me the meeting. I still have to prove to people that I want to work with that I can that I can execute what they want me to do. Like, they know I know how to push the button and focus and how to deliver, but they're like, they always say, hey, can you do this or can you do that? You know, can you do this photo shoot for us? We need you to do this and we need you to do that. 
And in my head, I'm thinking like, well, fuck, have you seen the last the, the last 25 years of the shit I, I've done? Like, what do you think? Do you think I could do it? You know, I have 25 years of, of photography and videos. Like, I want to say, well, do you, you know, what do you think? You think I can do it? I think I can. Somehow I got this far. <laughs> but, you know, you got to be like, oh, yes, yes, sir. I could do that. Uh, what would you like me to, you know, where would you like me to do it? When do you need it turned around by, you know? What's the budget? This, that, you know, you have to play the game and be professional and all that shit. But, I, I, you know, when they ask me those questions, I go, well, I go, fuck, man. If I, if I don't think, if you don't think I could do it and I don't think I could do it, then I'm in the wrong business, you know? Yeah. My answer is, of course I could fucking do it, man. Haven't you seen all the shit I've been doing? Can I take that picture or shoot the video of that? You ain't goddamn right, I can. <laughs> so I you got to believe in yourself, right? Years, you got to you know, believe but, in yourself. Yeah, Yeah, but I got to go, oh, yes, I could do that. Yeah, I, I think I can get, you know. But I know damn well I could do that shit with my eyes closed. <laughs> but I have to play the game and, you know. Play nice, all that shit. You gotta be easy to work with, cause when you go against the grain, or you be a little rebel, or you're hard to work with, then it's over. You're yeah. done, dude. You're only as good as your last photo shoot. Okay. You fuck around and don't do some good photos, boy. You gotta, you gotta do what you say. You know, you gotta do that comeback. <laughs> Yeah, that comeback like even Fat though, Joe, huh? <laughs> yeah, no matter what, even though you've been doing it 20 years, like, they don't give a fuck. They're like, man, I seen your last photo shoot, homie. It wasn't, it wasn't doing so hot. It wasn't that strong, you know? They, they don't they don't tell you that, but you know. Like, and, and I've had some photo shoots that I don't like, you know? I've had some photo shoots where I'm like, man, I could have done that one better, but the fucking stylist was taking long, just dragging that shit out over and over, like, you know, because sometimes you go to do these big photo shoots and there's like two stylists and they bring in like four uh, clothing racks full of clothes and they'll and, and they'll dress the person and do their hair and makeup. It's mostly with girls that you're shooting and, and you and you dress up the girl and you do the first photo shoot. It took like it takes like a half hour, forty five minutes or an hour to get the first one, you know, first shot to where you're ready to start taking pictures. And they're like, hold on, let me fix her hair real quick. The wind is blue. Let me fix her makeup. The wind blew her hair, smeared her makeup on her face. Let me let me straighten out her uh, shirt. It's a little wrinkled right there. Let me straighten out her pants. You know, and they just are fucking with the with the girl or the subject you're shooting or whatever. And once you get the first shot done, you're like, okay, cool, we got that outfit. What's next? And then they go back in there and they're sitting there going through every fucking piece of clothes. Do you think this would look good with that? I think this would look good with that. And what about we change her makeup just a little bit so it doesn't look the same as the last shot? And what if we change the hair just a little bit and it just takes another hour to do that shit? <laughs> you're, shit. And you're supposed to do like five or six outfits in that day and you're just like watching that fucking clock go by and you're watching the sun go down. You're like, fuck, man, these people are killing me. Dang. But. You know, you got to stay patient and, and at the same time, you got to be like, hey, guys, you know, let's go. We got to, we're losing light. You got to, we got to get moving here. 
you know, you got to be nice and professional. And, and uh, before you know it, you know, the sun went down and you, you missed a couple outfits. You're kind of like, a, um, on those type of jobs, you're kind of like the captain of the team. Okay. You got to be, you know, nice to your players because you want to get the best out of them. But at the same time, you got to take charge and be like, hey, man, you know, we got six outfits. We got six hours. We can't do an hour on each one. We got to we got to figure out where to cut some corners here. You got to think of like, you know, think of it like that. Like you're you're running the team. On that note, this is the quote to wrap it up. Your only limit is you. Yo, you got to believe in yourself. You got to stay dope. <laughs> Yo, Esteban, I want to thank you for this, man. You know, this is this is not only good for myself, you know, as as an entrepreneur try, trying to like learn from all the people that I've interviewed so far, but this is also for every listener out there trying to, you know, do as you've done and produce the same beautiful effects that you have with your photography um and you know just do the best with their career but um man i want to thank you you want to um shout out anything you that you're working on right now any projects that you got going on yeah this year marks the 25 years that me and my partner cartoon have been working together and uh hanging out together so we're going to be coming out with a bunch of stuff this year he came out with a a new bishop rotary tattoo machine he came out with some rims today that he's putting out through Zanetti. <clears throat> we got a collab coming out with Stan Socks. We executive produced a movie and consulted on it called Lowriders. Uh, we're doing a furniture collab with Modernica. And then uh, we got a documentary coming out on both of us this year. And, uh, you know, we got some projects that haven't been locked in concrete yet so I don't want to mention those because yeah. I don't want to look like a dummy if they don't come out but those the ones I did mention are for sure coming out and uh, stay tuned now is that on your website estebanoriol.com <laughs> yeah estebanoriol.com is my website my Instagram is estebanoriol that's blue check so you know it's me on Twitter it's jokerbrand on Facebook, it's Esteban Oriol and Esteban Oriol Photography and Joker Brand. We got all three of those Facebooks. And then uh, I think that's it. I don't really do uh, too much more. I mean, those, all that shit takes up all my time. Yeah, for sure, man. Yo, I want to thank you, man. And I want you to have further, further, further success with your career. I want you to take it to the next, 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 next fucking level, homie. And I want nothing but the best for you, homie. Thank you, brother. All right, man. You have a good night. Okay, you too. All right. Thank you. All right. Yo, and that was Esteban Oriol. Yo, I told you it was dope. Dope as fuck. I always keep it fresh. I always keep it popping. Yo, this is Brown, your host of the Hip Hop Spot. And that was the interview with Esteban Oriol, photographer, videographer, and a bunch of other shit that he has in his resume. So go and check that out, estebanoriol.com. Check out his projects. Check out everything. He's dope as fuck. Now we're about to go into some more dope, dope, dope hip-hop music on the only, only, only podcast that keeps you motivated all the time is the hip-hop spot. Yo. Yo.